We all need to laugh. We choose truth over facts. And now for a perpetual political protest in progress. Judge my physical, mental, filth, my physical as well as my mental fitness. Coffee time. And welcome to the Ammo Can Coffee Social Club Conservative Hour of Power and Enlightenment Salon. This is Jason Floyd. I'm your host and the owner of the Ammo Can Coffee Social Club. Today, Loretta Eaton will not be joining us. Uh, she had some medical things that she needed to take care of, and so our prayers and thoughts go out to her today. Um, uh, sounds like uh, everything worked out, and we'll get to see her again next week. But uh, today we have a guest in the studio, uh, Dave Saldivar. And for those of you who attended the uh, Medical Liberty Rally about a month and a half ago, you'll remember Dave got up on stage towards the end and uh, represented uh, some air traffic controllers from the FAA and was talking about a little bit about uh, the federal uh, mandates for COVID vaccination that were coming down and what that might mean for his career. So he is, uh, he is now uh, joining us here in studio. Welcome, Dave. Hello, it's good to be here. So um, just for those on the radio or the, uh, the, the streaming service that you're listening in on, uh, we are located at 35559 on the Kenai Spur Highway in the Joanne Fabric building here in uh, Soldatna. Not sunny today, kind of overcast right across the street from the Best Western. We invite you to come in on Saturday mornings to participate in the podcast, listen in, and if you'd like to be a guest, we'd love to have you. Also, we are looking for folks who would like to sponsor this uh, conservative media platform, and you can do so by clicking on the uh, link that's provided in the Podbean uh, platform um, or on our Facebook, or not our Facebook, but our our homepage, and that is... um, uh, the Patreon link where you can make a contribution to help uh, fund the show. Um, shameless little plug there. But um, so, Dave, let's uh, let's just jump right into it. Can you tell us a little bit about yourself and and how you came to Alaska, how you came to be in Alaska, and what you do? Well, I am. Uh, I consider myself Alaskan. I grew up on a farm in Missouri, um, but I got up here pretty soon after college as a controller in Juneau at the tower there for several years then had a chance to come up to Kenai and that made this our home and most of our kids we had two kids born in Juneau and we had a couple kids born up here in uh, Kenai Soldatna and this is our home uh, most of them are here grandkids are here and we consider ourselves uh, Alaskan through and through so how long were you in Juneau about uh two and a half or three and a half years was that like like two years too long I didn't mind Juno that much. Yeah. I, got, I finally got a boat towards the end, and oh, I felt, okay. felt free down there. But I tell you what, the thing that really needed to happen and was irritating to me was that uh, they didn't move the capital when they said they were going to. And I know that's an old, old issue, but man, looking at the community down there, I was like, boy, this, this place needs an influx of people to come in and get on the steps. Yeah. Well, to speak to that just real briefly, whenever the, the issue of moving the capital comes up, I like to throw my own two cents in. Um, I had the opportunity to go down to Juneau a number of times when I worked uh, for a tribal organization and then most recently for uh, Ron Gillum 
as junior staff during the uh, regular session and I was down there for three months you know there's a lot of cool people in Juneau yes there, there are there are a lot of people that live there that uh, don't have anything to do with the uh, the deep state or the bureaucracy or you know the legislature and they're just trying to live their lives and provide for their families and so whenever people say we need to move the capital I get a little bit nervous about that because I think you know at the end of the day, those folks are Alaskans, and they're our friends and neighbors. And uh, while they're down there in the southeast, um, you know, out of sight, out of mind, oftentimes, uh, I try to use the golden rule. You know, treat others as you would want them to treat you. Too bad our politicians didn't do that. But um, the idea I had was, why don't we rotate legislative sessions and use the university system, which is always screaming for more money, but they have these huge complexes in Anchorage and Fairbanks and have the session one year in Juneau to represent and be available and accessible by the people in Southeast. Have the next session in Anchorage, the next session after that in Fairbanks, and then rotate back to Juneau. Leave all the bureaucrats down in Juneau because, I mean, nobody wants to be close to them anyway. The, um, but bring the legislature to the people bring the governor to the people where we can actually uh engage them and then tell the universities hey just realize when it's your year for rotation you're going to provide the meeting space the conference rooms the general assembly halls for the senate and the the uh the house uh you're going to provide the it support and we're going to pay you for it just like we would pay folks in already paying the universities anyway yeah, you know, you know how it works though in government. They just shift money from one budget to the next and but, you know, can you imagine? I mean, I can hear the pushback already from some of the faculty, but think about it this way, professors. You and your kids would have direct access to the legislature for that session. How valuable would that be? Of course, I would too. So, well, that's what when I talk about moving the capital, that is what has to be moved. You have to have legislatures have to be responsible to their constituents. And when they can hide away someplace and make it cost ineffective to get there to represent your side, then they've pretty much got a uh, stranglehold on it. So moving the legislature around and making them uh, accountable is what needs to happen. Whether it's permanent move out of Southeast or it's, as you said, a rotational one, both of them have merit. But uh, moving the bureaucracy that's already set up, no, you, they can leave that be. Yeah, I, I think I think that the folks in Juno need a little bit of perspective, and they they need to be they need to be forced into, or you know, it would be nice if they just willingly accepted this, but forced into the position where they have to adapt, they have to uh, overcome, and they have to improvise, like they have made all the rest of us do for the last two years. Let's talk a little bit about that: adapting, overcoming, improvising. I mean. Never did I think that I was going to be nearly bankrupt, which is what happened last year. But that was not due to my lack of planning. That was not due to uh, my inappropriate use of funds, you know, or credit. Uh, My shop was 100% paid for. But then the pandemic came along. So let's talk a little bit about how your world's been shaken up by the pandemic. Well... Where do you start? As an employee of where I'm at, uh, we're under this, um, I would like to call it an executive order, this mandate, who knows whether, how it's going to actually play out when it completely plays out. Um, I was pretty much on top of this back in uh, December of 19. 
and I was following along because what goes on in, in China and the, I got the wind on the uh, vitamin D and the vitamin C pretty quickly and some chaga. And then I, I have parents who are, you know, in poor health in the late seventies and I got them started on that and they're doing well. Neither one of them had any issues with uh, COVID coming through. So for me personally, it hasn't been that um, close until very recently when I just recovered. But um, as far as in the working world, it's caused a major division between the management and the people that uh, uh, the bargaining unit employees, between uh, even employees there. They have different views about forcing people to do certain things. Now, how long have you worked for the FAA? I've been with the FAA for 25 years or so. So do you have any reservation about coming on the show today as far as negative pushback you may get for... for oh, absolutely, I have it. Um, I am not. I do not represent the FAA. I am not speaking on behalf of the FAA or anybody else. I'm only speaking on my behalf and some of what I've seen. I'm not as, here to as call a private individual? Out. As a private individual. Do they yes. allow you to be a private individual anymore? Um, sometimes, sometimes, okay. Sometimes it'll, it'll depend on what, what is said. And I'm not going to call anybody out or ask for action other than if you're concerned about, uh, some of the things that you see going on with pilots, um, some of what uh, has been read and filled out by, uh, military doctors being worried about the consequences of these shots that they're giving, uh, the pilots. Um, that also pertains to controllers. And I want you to think about that. Well, there are places to call to lodge your concerns. I'm not saying to come down on anybody, but if you are concerned, because if you're Alaska's aviation heavy state, very, this is how we live. It's our lifeblood. Well, I can tell you this. Alaska Airlines has announced that they are going to require 100% compliance with their uh, all their, their crew and their pilots and everything by the end of December. I think that has something to do with they were using the excuse of Biden's mandates towards uh people receiving federal funds through grants and contracts and um i had heard somewhere that there was a pilot that dropped over dead recently uh in the air and that his co-pilot had to take over it was a short time after he'd taken a covid shot and um i'll tell you what i'm not flying alaska airlines you can you can listen to this you know uh, all 22 of you out there listening to the show right now yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know? uh, let let some let let everybody in your circle of influence know you know it doesn't take much from us as Alaskans to get the bean counters at Alaska Airlines to start worrying about what their shareholders are going to think when we all boycott them well that's very true you know, and, and, and I, I would say that anybody, and we've, we've called for this before, um, with Alaska Airlines specifically as it related to Laura Reinbold and their treat, treatment of her, is that just as they have barred her from travel, we can also bar them from uh, revenue by withholding our funds and using one of the other air providers, air carriers that's coming into our state. Now, we have a difficult future ahead of us if all of the air carriers jump in line, but it seems like like the veneer has cracked on that uh, nationally and that there are a number of people organizing, mobilizing uh, in the aviation industry to push back against these these activist CEOs and, and boards. What is it now? It's uh, what Delta's backed off. American Airlines is backed off. Southwest is backed Southwest, off. Southwest, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, Man. so can you tell me about, you know, as, as an FAA, you know, uh, employee, uh, I'm sure you see a lot about weather. 
and and know about the weather and know about how that's impacting uh, aviation. I heard there was this freak freak uh, storm down the lower 48 that only impacted one airline and and grounded <laughs> like 2,000 of their flights. Everybody else was still flying, but I didn't know that the weather was that vindictive, that it could s- single out one airline. Well, it's, it's interesting you put it this way. You can get, it is possible to get massive storms in Florida that will hit an airport Hitting an airline, I've never seen that. I'm not exactly sure how that would happen. Maybe that's something that DARPA has just come up with. You know, I mean, they're always making cool new little toys. And well, things. I'm not in the loop on that one. Uh, yeah, yeah. So, well, interesting. So, so what's the deadline? The deadline that has been been given to the employees, the federal employees. Uh, the, and the, the deadline that we have right now is an attestation on the 8th of November. And completion, um, if you meet the... Uh, qualification the completion of your jabs by the 22nd now of I, november now i heard today as i was coming into the shop i was listening to one american news and they were reporting that uh and they actually had a recording of the cdc official who said this um that uh they're changing they're going to be changing they're, they're seriously considering changing the definition of fully vaccinated uh, well, you know, move, they've been moving the goalposts again. So, you know, from watching this whole thing go on, they've been changing definitions of everything as they can't meet their own definition, so they change it. Right. So, right. So, so while you may have a deadline, even if you were to comply, you may not still fit the definition of fully vaccinated by the deadline. I think it's uh, I think it's eight weeks, if I remember correctly, between when you get your first jab and when you get your second. And there's a reason for that because your uh, your immune system hasn't fully regenerated the white blood cells in by that eighth week is when it starts over. And so if they hit you with the second jab before you've reset your system, then that actually further weakens you, which, you know, is another topic we can talk about later. But, yeah, that uh, would that would that, that's another topic. and I don't mind going going there, but. But, you know, yeah, so, so it's not about so, COVID. We know that. So eight weeks from now, I mean, you could have both jabs if you started, if you went and got it today and then eight weeks from now, you got your second jab and then the deadline hits, but you're still screwed because you're no longer, if the CDC changes the de- the, the definition, you, you haven't had your booster. Well, that's one of the things we're trying to bring up to people that, that, um, that there is going to be some pushback going on with this or actually there is a fair amount um bringing up the ones that are even currently they consider themselves fully vaxxed that there's no end game on it they may have to get a booster a month a booster every three weeks nobody knows it's wide open well we've 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 talked previously about the daily covid pill that they're developing that both uh i think was uh pfizer and moderna both had daily covid pills that they're they're devising um this is different yeah. than the Merck reformulation yeah. of yeah, ivermectin. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. yeah, this is different. So they're all doing it. I mean, there's massive profits to be be uh, taken in here and all at the cost of humanity, you know. But um, but there's some significant other costs aside from just your health. Uh, the government now, according to Joe Biden, is going to meet all of our needs, it seems, with the National Guard. That uh, supply chain is breaking down. 
frontline workers who were he- hailed as heroes are now traitors to the to to humanity because the uh, many of them don't want to get the jab. Um, and sorry, I didn't turn my phone ringer off. I don't know why my daughter does that. She always calls me right during the show. Um, if I was live, maybe she wouldn't do that. But anyway, um, so the National Guard seems to be the go-to now. In, in New York, I know that they've already deployed the National Guard to replace some of these these medical workers that have lost their jobs because they refuse to get vaccinated. Um, uh, Joe Biden's talking about replacing all of the truckers, uh, missing workforce. Uh, He'll get- find himself running out of people in the National Guard because they're not even 100% behind this getting this jab. Well, and here's the other thing is that, you know, there's only a a, National Guard's made up of you and me, you know, citizen soldiers. And so you pull people off of their daily job to go work in the National Guard, performing some kind of function the civilian population used to. Are they going to have to pull some National Guard to fill your job that you had to leave? Right, right. I mean, and and you would assume that you're not going to be taking somebody who bakes bread and put them in the OR, you know, or, or that you're, or or that you're going to take somebody whose, whose job is in, I don't know, uh, you know, uh, acquisitions and put them into trucking, you know, or, or, or take somebody who is, uh, in, in, uh, I don't know, just a ground pounder and say, Hey, you get to, you get to, uh, uh, help us guide in these, uh, 747s and, you know, heavy load uh, uh, airliners as uh, air traffic controllers. You know, where are they going to find those people? They're probably going to find people who that's their civilian job anyway. Right. Yeah. But, but again, are there going to be enough? enough no. Period. No. There, there, there's not. And it's not possible. And it's just something that uh, are, is, um, some people esteem him, I guess. Biden is just saying off the top of his head. He doesn't have a clue. Yeah. Well, and then I, I, I wonder, you know, um, uh, I think it, it wasn't Camilla Harris. There was another prominent Democrat that recently talked about uh, replacing the um, folks in law enforcement. I think it was Camilla. Uh, law enforcement, the, the shortfall in law enforcement that's, that's predicted when, when all these cops decide to walk or get fired, um, that they'll just replace them with the National Guard. So then I start asking questions about posse comitatus, which is a law that says you cannot use the army or the military, the military yes. against the civilians. And, and if you're in a policing role, I think the only time that they can actually activate the military in a policing role in the United States is when there's martial law declared. So, you know... Uh, all of this stuff, you know, is incremental. It doesn't happen overnight. But look at how far we've slid from... Well, it, well you're right. It, it doesn't happen overnight, but we have all been a part of it. This is the part that people haven't stood up and said enough. Um, and myself, just like many people listening, you know, you, you go along, you trust what you've been living. Go along and, to get along. And, you know, this isn't so bad and that isn't so bad. But as citizens, yeah, we pretty should have been at every one of those... Uh, local meetings we could have been at. Um, you need to be in contact with your senators and your uh, governor and your other representatives. You need to do that all the time, but we should have been doing it a long time ago because look where we're at now. Well, you know... Um, now, this has been in play for a very long time. This was a 
strategic plan? You know, I'm going to take a minute to kind of refresh people's minds about why the social club, the Ammo Can Coffee Social Club exists. Because we were just a coffee shop that was militarily themed. You know, kind of like when you go to Disneyland and you eat in the old French Quarter at Disneyland. You get some really tasty gumbo. You sort of get transported down to uh, Bourbon Street, you know, minus all the passed out drunk people. And um, it's not very becoming when you've got toddlers walking around. <laughs> but, uh, but the gumbo's good. You know, I thought it was awesome. The window dressing, the, the, the props, you know, it, you actually feel like you're there. So when we developed this brand, Ammo Can Coffee, it was purely an exercise in sort of pointing to our military culture in this, in this area. We have 12% of people walking the streets in the Central Peninsula are veterans. Yeah, Alaska is the highest percentage per capita. And the peninsula is the highest percentage in the state because Alaska is 11% and the peninsula is 12%. And so, um, you know, there's a lot of, a lot of, uh, sympathetic folks who could identify with the brand and, and my own history. My dad's a veteran. My, my granddad's a veteran, was a veteran before he passed away. My, his father before him, my brother, my sister, they're veterans, you know, so, uh, the military culture in our family runs, you know, pretty deep. And, um, honestly, I didn't want to be another hipster bar. So we started out simply enough, bought a bunch of ammo cans, dressed it up, kind of had fun, you know, uh, poking fun at politics and on both sides of the equation. And, and, um, but at some point it became really apparent that people were fed up and that this brand meant a lot more than just a novelty that there was something there was a there was an undercurrent that it tapped into and as the covid regulations started coming out last year like everybody else we were concerned we wanted to be um compassionate we wanted to be uh, protective for our, our our staff my own family you know our customers and so we complied for three and a half months we complied you know to flatten that curve and the government just about wiped us out and there was no aid. When we finally did receive aid, it came from the private sector in the form of a GoFundMe campaign that was uh, promoted by Must Read Alaska. Suzanne Downing over there wrote a story about us and started this campaign, saved our butts. But then come December last year, the activist Soldatna City Council decided they were going to get woke and tried to emulate Anchorage, and they were talking about enforcing a public face masking mandate on all businesses across uh, Soldatna, mind you, in a vacuum, because they weren't coordinating with any of the outlying communities, Kenai or any of the other surrounding communities. And I looked at that, and I, said, I, I knew I couldn't weather that storm. And so we decided to become the, the private club. There was some legal precedent that showed that there were some protections for private clubs. Right. And so we did that, and it created an... It, we just evolved, you know, that whole adapt, improvise, improvise, adapt, overcome. That's what we did. That's what the private sector does. When faced with adversity, we figure a workaround. And so as we're working around and we build out this sort of this new model, 
it seems that we tapped into an even stronger undercurrent. Well, we call it an undercurrent, and I think we only think of it as an undercurrent because of what has been coming across our, our uh, news out of Anchorage and what's coming across CNN it's, but it's and beneath Facebook. The surface. You start to feel you start to feel that uh, that nobody else is with you, so you start to think, well, maybe I really am an undercurrent in the background. No, we're the majority, and we're a very powerful majority. If we just not be afraid of being called out for being conservative or constitutionalist so that was a great segue because i was going to read our mission statement okay and we're going to get down to the third what we call empyreal acknowledgements basically a fancy way of staying guiding principles but so on january 1st the coffee shop reorganized as a private club promoting cultural and social you know conservatism and Membership is free to anybody who wants to join, but they have to agree to these three principles. And they're kind of a litmus test to say, do you align with this this undercurrent or this this understated dominant current? There you go. I like that. The first is that all the idea that all freedom, liberty and one's right to self-determination flow from God and shall not be infringed by any man. Right. That's what the Bill of Rights was all about. Right. And, and, you know, some people get a little nervous about invoking the name of God and, oh, we're going to offend somebody. Basically, what it boils down to is the framers understood that there was this inherent or self-evident natural law that superseded the law and will of man. Well, the way I see it, it's, it's another way of putting it. If somebody gets upset about using God, and they can use God however they want to. But, hey, because you are alive and you're human, you have these rights, period. Right, because you're because well, you exist. Well, and, you and, have. and they knew coming under the from from out from under the the totalitarian tyrannical, um, you know, governance of the King of England and the other aristocratic systems around the the, the world um, that helped to colonize the new the new world. That that if your law is based on the whim and will of a leader or a group of leaders and that rights are bestowed upon you by those leaders, that those rights are not um, dominant, they're, they're not guaranteed, and that they can be removed as quickly as they were created because if they were given by man, they could be taken by man. Well, it's, it's interesting. I have con- I've had the same concept, and I've asked a lot of people over time, usually younger people, where do you get these, these rights from? And it's, well, from the government. And uh, that gives me a nice segue to say, no, you don't get those rights from the government. That document is to recognize the rights you have because you exist. And to provide and, direction to the government as it, to how right. they will stay, stay free and not infringe upon those rights. Right. And government does not take rights away. They punish you for exercising your rights. Only you can give a right away. And right. I think a lot of people have forgotten that. You have to give up a right. Well, and, and Benjamin Franklin, you know, uh, we covered this in the last podcast, but I think it's worth restating here again. Benjamin Franklin said those who would give up essential liberty to purchase a little temporary safety deserve neither liberty nor safety. Right. And so um, the the second of our guiding principles or empyreal acknowledgments is that personal sacrifice on behalf of the innocent vulnerable and helpless is the highest form of love a person can demonstrate so where does that come from 
you know that idea is that that we are to treat one another with dignity and respect and to identify those who are less capable of providing for themselves uh, or accomplishing that sort of self-determined outcome in the first uh, case who need a little help and that it's not for the government to do that but it is the responsibility of each citizen Mm-hmm. to be aware and look around them and see those in their community that need their help and to give of their own time, talent, and treasure to go and lift that person up in charity. And we also read uh, Not Yours to Give last week, which was the essay uh, written about a speech that Davy Crockett gave to Congress when Congress decided that they wanted to spend from the largesse of government to benefit a few uh, at the cost of the many. I'm going to have to go back and read that again. It's interesting you say that because he's in my family tree. Okay. That, that's funny. All right. Yeah, my sister married into the Crockett family. So okay. so we're related we somehow. Were down yeah. there somewhere. Yeah, yeah, I didn't believe it for a long time. <laughs> Finally, somebody got it out and showed it to me, one of my yeah. grandmothers. Yeah, you know, so... Um, and, and that that is a little sidebar, you know, should you know, if you do any kind of genealogy research, which I did a lot. I lived in Nome for a couple of years and there's nothing to do in Nome but drink, dig in the ground, subsist or research your family tree. So <laughs> so I did a little digging in the ground and researching my family tree. And what I found in that was that we had over a, before I ran out of leads, we had over 165 surnames in the family. Wow. And when I looked at the people around me in the community, there were a lot of those names. So, you know, some are way back in the woodpile. You know, some of my kin married some of their kin. And, you know, we're all connected in this great thing called humanity. And, and a lot of us see the divisions, but we don't have to dig very far beneath the surface. No, you can, you can look back. And I'm thinking about what you just said and, the, and what about Crockett and being connected. We're all come from rebels. We all come from people back there some point. And adventurers. That didn't want to be run over by government. Free souls. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. People who were seeking their fortune in a new world, forcefully advancing, sometimes in a positive way, some many times in a negative way, but advancing nonetheless towards the common purpose that, that uh, there's something better to offer and it's out there. And if I stay right here, I'm not going to realize the potential out there. Right. And so, you know, whether you agree in westward expansion and, you know, the displacement of peoples, you know, that's the entire history of the human race is one people displacing the next and us sort of moving around the smoothie of the globe, you know, we're all mixed together and 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 moved, but um this idea that personal sacrifice on behalf of the innocent, you know, that comes from the golden rule, treat others like you want to be treated. And if we look at our government right now, they're not really practicing that. They're 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 more of do as you're told, bend the knee, or else you're going to lose your job. How many years have you worked for the FAA? Oh, what, close to twenty five. Twenty five, and and before the pandemic, what what was your sort of retirement goal? Oh, my before the pandemic, uh, my idea was I came back to uh, you know as an instructor. Um, I enjoy the job very much. And I figure I work um, probably in close to uh, about 60 mm-hmm. and then retire out of there. So it's putting me out quite a few years early. Um, it's kind of under duress because I'm 
pushing back a little no, bit. No, you're not going to quit. I'm not going to quit, no. Okay. Either retire just before they... If the, we don't know exactly how everything's come out, it's still on the bubble with the FAA. Mm-hmm. Um, and we're kind of waiting to see how a lot of this plays out. So we're not knowing the intricacies of of all the legal ramifications of this. My initial response or encouragement to those who find themselves in this position is that a God's got you, mm-hmm. and if you believe in Christ and the Bible says that he's not going to leave you begging for bread. So maybe retirement's not going to look like what you want it to. But then there's this rebellious side of me that says that's all fine and good, but fight with every ounce that you have available, refuse to bend the knee, refuse to quit, force them to fire you and then take them to court. Now, I've been in a couple of court actions, and those things suck your will to live. Yes, they do. They will leave you hollow and soulless. <laughs> and even if you win, nobody wins in those things. Nobody. And the government's got very deep pockets. So you gotta, you got to choose your battles, and you got to weigh your options, and you got to figure out what you're going to do. But, but resistance is important, and resistance often means sacrifice and loss. Yeah, what's interesting about this is there's no argument being made on the behalf of the uh, uh, federal that I have seen. Now I'm talking about I'm not talking about the FAA. I'm talking about federal period, saying that you have to do this because it's essential um, for life or you're going to die. Uh, what's being forced is for, on all these federal agencies is you do it because you are being told to do it mm-hmm. they can't win the the scientific discussion they can't win the the appropriateness discussion and they they know it because they haven't they have not taken in the evidence they won't, don't want to look at it it's all just do it because we told you to do it period well we're evading th- your body and you're going to let us do it because we want to do it well the third and final principle that we have on the club is that we're one voice may be easily silenced, many voices raised together, and righteous solidarity must prevail. And that was the point of the rally where I first met you. Right. Was that many voices would get together in agreement. And, you know, some things have happened since then. So every Saturday, there's a meeting that is held here at the social club. And uh, it's made up of people who attended that first rally and expressed an interest in continuing to work towards uh, creating better visual exposure to the idea that the so-called undercurrent is actually the dominant current. Right. And so there are people who organize here. They come in at 1.30 every, every Saturday now. They have a strategy. They have a plan. Um, and... Uh, there's no centralized leadership to that. It's just people operating within their own spheres of influence, identifying the things that they can bring to the group to benefit the the whole and um, to advance this idea that we must stand together or we will fall. And um, so this last week, or this week actually, uh, the group went and picketed at the intersection in Kenai across from Arby's. And then followed that up with a um, presentation at the city council meeting 
where they presented the city council with a citizen's declaration of medical liberty and then also uh, provided them copies of the essay uh, I pencil which is uh, another thing that we'll we'll talk about um, but then they also uh, received that Davy Crockett speech and um, and then a number of community members got up and engaged the council and reminded them who they work for and said that you know we're gonna be watching and we're gonna engage and if you don't step up for liberty if you buy into this idea that anything's permissible as long as you get paid by the feds that you're gonna be held to account one way or another I, so many people that um, you know this is goes with uh, any federal employee any police officer anybody in law enforcement across the feds um, we swear fealty to the Constitution of the United States and that becomes the guiding principle and just like you were saying the people that get together here they don't need a leader because they all have the same guiding principle a Constitution a Bill of Rights um, the three what you call them empire empire real empire real acknowledgments here if you hold those and you have a guiding principle like that then you're going to work the same direction and you're going to work towards freedom because that's what the Constitution is enforcing is freedom and I think it's really sad that our representatives have forgotten that they are actually supposed to be working and supporting the Constitution instead of what the highest donor to their campaign is. Yeah, they, there are definitely some people who have been bought. And, you know, uh, money itself is not evil, but the love of money is. And they talk about how power corrupts and absolute power corrupts absolutely. Right. And um, you put, put money together with power. And is it any wonder that we find ourselves in the place we find ourselves? Um, for those of you who don't know what empyreal means, because we like to use words and define words, Empyreal comes from the word Empyrean, and that's spelled E-M-P-Y-R-E-A-N. And Empyrean means relating to heaven or the sky. So you are, you are uh, directing aircraft through the Empyrean. Empyrean. Yes, yes. Through the heavens and the sky. Yeah. Yeah. Um, it also... Uh, states that the Empyrean domain is where human will and God's will become as one. Okay. So when we use the adjective form of Empyrean, that becomes Empyreal. Okay. Okay. So if people read that or, or hear us say Empyrean acknowledgments, this is where man's will and God's will become as one. Okay. So it's being aligned with God. Okay. So these three concepts that we, we hold onto as sort of our, our main tenets of, of uh, requirements for membership is that you must be in agreement that these three things are so important that that if if natural law arrives from outside of man's law 
and it's supernatural or beyond human control, then that I call that God. That's, that's coming from God. And that if we align ourselves with God, then we can truly stand together in righteousness. And that third empyrea acknowledgement I read, you know, basically says, you know, these are evil times we live in. We're being forced to lock down. We're being forced to isolate. We're being forced to mask ourselves. We're being forced to uh, reject our humanity uh, by masking our children. We're we're, uh, being forced to take a vaccine that in, uh, has has the uh, embryonic cells of aborted fetuses, babies, in it. We just learned through Project Veritas that that uh, the Pfizer vaccine has embryonic cells in it. Right, and that goes going going back into. And I'm talking to uh, if you're a federal employee, maybe you didn't know that, and you got your shots. Consider that moving forward. You can still file for. An exemption. For an exemption, um, even if you've had some shots, because moving forward, there is no limit of what you can get, and you're going to still be injected with things that you didn't know that were in there from last time. Yeah. So you got to have that moving forward. Well, and, and that's a, that's also a difficult position because by filing, I heard a, another gentleman I was talking to this week made this argument. By filing for an exemption, you're accepting the main pre- premise It's all all in how you you fill out the form. That you are required. That that you are submitting to the will of the government, which has supplanted your own will. And now you are uh, basically giving ceding authority to the government to dictate to you, and you are complying by filling out their form. The more sinister side of this conversation then turns to what is done with that form? You know, in Nazi Germany, they took the, the rights of the Jewish people, they, they revoked their citizenship. And when they did that, they, they used it to take their property, their possessions, and ultimately their lives. Because when you dehumanize somebody, and if you strip them of their citizenship, and then you tell the rest of the population that this group of people brings disease with them, that they are somehow immorally uh, or immoral and morally inferior to you, then it becomes a lot easier to justify doing things to them. That's well, just your normal, you know, let's break them apart, dehumanize a group of people, and set the rest of the population loose on them. Well, we talked about the stages of genocide. And, you know, that's very, very clearly some of the beginning stages of genocide. And so when when people say, oh, don't worry, you can fill out the form no way. to to express your your and I'm not saying you did, but but it's it's been out there. It, oh, you're you right. Can, it you has claim been, it can, has been out there and done that. You can claim your exemption, you know, you, but that's like where my thing is with them. Just because you've gotten a form in front of you mm-hmm. does not mean you have to fill out every blank does not mean that you can't say I decline to answer does not mean you can't do these things. Right. So in other words, I'm not going to be held um, guilty for not complying with my superior whom I filled out a form, but that doesn't mean I have to fill out every blank. 
that doesn't have that doesn't mean I have to give them the answers that they want. Um, I'm not saying that anybody undermine themselves or be confrontational or angry about mm-hmm. filling it out. But there are ways to do it to protect both your privacy as well as meeting the recommendation or the order is what it comes down to. It's an order that you will do this or you're going to be faced disciplinary, disciplinary action. Well, that's a good segue into a really serious uh, part of the show. <laughs> and uh, I understand that this gentleman, uh, Joshua Belter, is a colleague of yours yes. over at the FAA. And um, when I first talked with Mr. Belter, he, he told me a little bit about how this book came into being. And he said his entire life is defined by uh, policy and regulation and manuals and forms. Yeah, but if you got to figure out how you sit in the chair right on the <laughs> operations floor, there's probably a rule somewhere written and signed <laughs> off by somebody who got a bonus for it. Really? Okay. So anyway, Joshua Belter, for those of you who are new to the show, uh, is the author of the official book of rules. The right way to do everything, and this came from years of of of, uh, of just tedious research, and uh, I I know that he's talked to you. Oh, having read through the book a couple times myself, I've only found a few errors in his thinking. Only a few errors. Only a few. And you're his supervisor, are you not? <laughs> no, Josh is the Josh man. Okay, all right. So so according to the Josh man. Uh, Book of Rules 4-16, Authorized Use of drive through Windows. I mean, see, this book captures all the most important things in life mm-hmm. and, and, and puts them in neat little packages and gives us direction that, that if we follow these rules should lead to a more fulfilled experience for all of us. So um, the use of drive through Windows is authorized only when three cars or fewer are currently in the drive through line. Otherwise, the motor vehicle shall be parked in accordance with Board Rules 2-10. And ordering shall be accomplished inside the restaurant. This practice expedites the delivery of the meal. To the extent possible, individual fast food selections shall be determined before a vehicle enters a drive through line. Fast food selections shall be clearly communicated to the driver before the vehicle is positioned at the ordering window. Food selection changes shall be kept to a minimum, but are authorized with the non-availability of desired menu items, which actually has become an issue lately. Yeah, our, our supply side's kind of busted down a bit. So You know what? We don't need to fear, though, because the National Guard is here. They will be driving the trucks to McDonald's in a very short time. So, And, uh, and there will be National Guard flipping the burgers. At McDonald's, I think. If they run into labor shortage, they'll fill that as well. You know, maybe that's why Congress recently took up the issue of uh, uh, the Selective Services Act and including women. Oh, there we go. We get a registry at 18, and now we can just grab them and press them into service. Press them into service, and your mission for the uh, U.S. uh, military will be flipping burgers at McDonald's. That's right, because we have a need, and we're going to fill it right here just like this. That's right. That's right. So um, subsection A says allowable exceptions to enter a drive-thru with four or more vehicles in line. So number one, precipitation of a moderate degree or greater is occurring. For those of you who are unaware of what precipitation means, that would be things falling from the sky. 
Um, subsection A, uh, moderate precipitation is defined as moisture landing on the windshield of a motor vehicle to such a degree that driving without wipers would be considered unsafe. So if it's a heavy fog, this rule doesn't apply. Exactly. Uh, number two, physical restrictions exist with the driver or any passenger. So if you have a broken leg, or like uh, my friend Dave, who has ripped out his uh, Achilles twice now. Oh, bummer. You know, um, it's okay to stay in the car. Number three, driving uh, patrons have a personal relationship with an individual working in the eating establishment's drive through window. So if your wife is the one at the window, you know, or your kid, it's okay for you to go in and uh, do that. Subsection A, personal conversation between parties or patrons and restaurant staff are limited to 60 seconds whenever other vehicles are observed in the line behind a vehicle. And finally, number four, the disturbance of an infant would be required to enter an eating establishment. So That's probably the so, n- number one yeah, reason, I think. Yeah, there. if your infant is sleeping in the backseat, please, please, please use the drive-thru and allow them their beauty sleep because they need that. Um, I got one more here. And this one is dealing with yard parkers. This is for all those folks in Nikiski. So, um, and Kasilov, I think. Uh, this is Border Rules, rule number dash 7 11. The primary purpose of a garage is to store and protect automobiles, motorcycles, and bicycles. Vehicles may not be routinely parked in driveways, nor in the street, if a stall is open in the garage. Garages shall be considered secondary storage areas. Miscellaneous household items shall not be stored in garage if space is available in primary storage areas such as attics, closets, and sheds. Every effort, sh- uh, you know, he, he needs to update this. The, the shipping container is not listed. I know. Yeah, we, that needs to be there. I mean, that's my garage. I have a 40-foot shipping container. Tell you what. And it's movable, so I mean, right? You can lift it it's up. It's a garage with benefits. Um, every effort shall be made to ensure ample parking space exists in garages. Boxes containing non-seasonal items stored in garages shall be considered unnecessary and excessive if boxes have not been opened during the previous year. Excessive items shall be discarded as appropriate. Now, now he's starting to pick on the hoarders. Yeah. Uh, Subsection A, individuals who routinely park vehicles outside of garages when garage space is available shall be identified as, quote-unquote, yard parkers. Sounds like a Seinfeld. uh, Yeah, it does. It does, yeah. Yard parkers may be excluded from all neighborhood events, such as parties, meetings, and community garage sales until they use the garage to capacity. So a little bit of uh, social... That seems a little bit social engineering. I know. I think you know know. who's going to go in there and check and see if there actually is space in their garage. Because it it sounds like it's okay to park in the yard if the garage is full. Maybe this is how HOAs were designed. You know, Uh, I had a, I still have a house up in Anchorage that we run as a B and B. We're closing it this month, but it's in an HOA. And I'll tell you what a pain in the butt. You know, you got nosy Nancy. You know, saying, hey, the, your 
your trash is there's too much trash in your in your driveway and it's like we had a huge group of people stay with us and they created like i don't know they went through 15 rolls of toilet paper in three days I don't want to go where they went to go to eat. Yeah. <laughs> they ate in. Oh, ironically. Okay. But they created so much trash that when our housekeeper came by to clean out the place, there was literally piles of it that she brought outside. It had only been out there about 15 minutes, and, and the uh, HOA lady drove by and saw it, and immediately we got a letter. So there was no consideration for the time that it was there. It was just, you know, such an eyesore. Well, it was really nice of you to give her something to do that day. Yeah. You know, make yeah. her feel useful and that she's contributed. <laughs> Uh, so, uh, subsection B says individuals possessing more vehicles than garage capacity allows will not be considered yard parkers. Okay. All right, then. Uh, I think he needs another section in here for people who own trailers. I'm what you would call trailer poor. I've got like four trailers at my house. Uh, finally, uh, subsection C, yard parkers may not be scorned, harassed, or ridiculed. Unless violators physically park vehicles in the front yard. Okay. I.E. Nikiski. <laughs> I only make fun of Nikiski because I grew up there. So I have permission. Lots of great people in Nikiski. Lots of great places to park. <laughs> All around the house. All around the house. That's right. Yeah, on the back 40. Um, actually, you can you surprisingly, there are some people who have decided to park in such a manner as to turn their their vehicle into a holding tank for their their septic. <laughs> you know, just just bury a bus, you know, turn it into a septic. Tank. Turn it into it. Let it let it flow through there. Yeah, yeah. So, anyway, you know, I th- thank you for indulging us, and in, as we discuss some of the more important rules in life, because it seems like our lives are increasingly uh, uh, controlled through rules and um, the government is doesn't seem like it's going to be letting up anytime soon well, I, I, the most concerning part of it is we're not getting governed by law we're getting but governed by edict and whatever tyrannical notion decides to come out of washington from an administration should we break that word down which one tyrannical uh edict 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 no let's not break that one okay down. <laughs> I just had visions of, of Joe Biden in my mind. Anyway. Yeah. So, um, but well. I was going to go ahead and to continue with that is, and I think people are, are so used to doing what they're told because over the history, let's go back 30 and 40 years, collectively, we've gotten used to them um, telling us certain things and we do it not because it's necessarily the right thing to do, but because it didn't hurt. Um, and now this is coming home. This is coming home for people all over the place, but still we're in that pattern of doing it because somebody told us to do it. Um, thank God for Ammo Can Coffee and people like Jason for standing up and saying, wait a minute, you can need to think about these things. You shouldn't do things just because somebody said to do it. And that's even come out across some of the speeches. Um, who was it? Uh, out of San Francisco. I can't remember her name, but she was in there. Waters. Oh, Water yeah. said, you know, quit worrying about what's in it and just take the dying shot. And I was like, wait a I, minute. I, wait, I, wait, wait. I wonder, I wonder how all those guys in, in uh, the Tuskegee uh, community felt about that. Uh, you know, the, the ones whose relatives died from the syphilis uh, injection that the U.S. government gave them to run a, uh, a study 
you know, of course, without their informed consent. Of course. You know, but uh, all is permissible as long as you're advancing science and and uh, collecting data. Collecting data. And one of the some of the scary stuff on some of that that's gone on is that they will come and get the permission, quote unquote, permission of a mayor or a county commissioner to be able to run experiments on smaller communities. But they'll go in. So no, wait, we actually had the uh, permission. We got it from the commissioner. Um as a way of supposedly covering themselves legally. So that's why it's really important to do things like Jason has mentioned here, um, going to the council meetings and speaking up and being a voice. Now be aware if you go to the uh, school board meetings that according to the uh, Department of Justice at the federal level, you may be categorized as a domestic terrorist. If you're a parent that uh, feels strongly about your children, and their education and being part of the decisions being made in your local school district about that education. Apparently now the government has identified you as public enemy number one. And you may receive a knock on the door from men in black who are there to uh, let you know that uh, your comments to the uh, leftist progressive who would like to take your children from you uh, were inappropriate and abrasive and hurt their feelings. And they cried a little bit afterwards, and so now you're on a list. On a list, yeah. So uh, we have our own list here at Ammo Can Coffee. It's our membership list. We encourage you to come in and check it out. Um, there's no cost to becoming a member. Uh, you just have to agree with us on those three empyreal acknowledgments and agree that you're going to help to promote and uh, carry forward the light of conservatism. Um, I've been talking with some folks lately about some some things biblically and uh you know last week we invited some pastors in to start talking about religious liberty because that's on the chopping block as well and uh one of the things we talked about was being salt and light and uh you know the light if you're a christian is uh the light that fills you when you accept christ into your life and um and light even the smallest amount of light will push away the darkness, no matter how oppressive that darkness may be. So each of us has a light. Each of us has a, a call and a commission to go forth and share that light with the world. And because of that, we each in our own right are leaders. Whether you recognize it, accept it or not, uh, you are a leader in your own right within your own sphere of influence. And yeah. we challenge you to step out, be vocal, be civil, and engage your local community your friends, your family, and you may lose some friends. You may lose some family members. We've lost some family members along the way who are very liberal-minded, but um, we still love them and pray for them and, and hope that someday we'll be reunited. Uh, but there are things that are important here that if we want to have a future for our children, we have to hold tight to the liberties that have been so hard fought for and won. Amen on that one. So you've been listening to the Ammo Can Coffee Social Club Conservative Hour of Power and Enlightenment Salon. If you'd like to sponsor this uh, show, please come by the shop. Let us know. We'd love to uh, endorse your company or your mission and uh, as long as it is aligned with our own and um, promote you in the community and help build our uh, growing audience. Please share and like this on Facebook and other social media platforms you may belong to. Uh, we now have a Tumblr um, uh, channel that you can subscribe to. It's an open public channel on uh, not Tumblr. I'm sorry. Is it on, on Rumble. On, on uh, no Telegram. 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 Okay. On Telegram, 
and uh, we encourage you to to join that. We would like to eventually uh, migrate away from the Facebook platform. Uh, unfortunately, there's not uh, anything quite comparable yet, and we know a lot of you follow us on Facebook. So, uh, join the fight. Uh, come in, join us on uh, the uh, at 1:30 every Saturday for the Liberty Action AK group. That's the folks that are organizing continuing liberty movement activities. And then if you know a pastor, please let them know that we are keeping an open slot at 1 o'clock every Monday for pastors to meet and get to know each other and come into ecumenical friendship, fellowship, and action to stand up for and secure and maintain our religious liberty. Thank you, folks, and we'll talk to you again next week. Have a great time.